This is Belonging, a podcast that explores being alive in the age of loneliness. I'm your host, Becca Piastrelli, a writer, mother, and community tender currently living on the ancestral lands of the Coast Miwok people in present-day Marin County, California. In this show, we explore topics like rites of passage, cultivating meaningful community, seasonal and cyclical living, and what it means to be a good ancestor in these times. I have thought-provoking conversations with friends, teachers, elders, and ancestral medicine keepers to help support you in bringing more meaning and connection to your life. I also pop in here and there to share updates and learnings from my own story, because we were meant to do this together, cosmically holding hands as we walk the spiral of life. You can expect to be challenged by new or old ideas, face your beliefs and what systems informed them, get curious and brave to tell the truth about the deeper, harder things, and feel comforted in the knowing that you don't have to navigate it all alone. Hello, and welcome to the Belonging Podcast. It's Becca Piastrelli here, your host, your guide to these conversations about what it is to live in this age of loneliness and reconnect the tattered threads of connection to the land, to who and what we come from, to community, to ourselves. And um, you can probably hear it in my voice. I am overcoming quite a sickness. My whole family got taken down by a wicked virus, including my little one. And I woke up today being able to breathe through my nose and um, not cough through these words. And man, there is nothing like the feeling of being able to breathe through your nose and sleep through a night after many nights of not that. Sickness is really the great uh, reorienter of priority. And I guess it has to happen. It has to happen sometimes to our bodies. And uh, I'm noticing Becca of years past would have really shamed herself for getting sick. There, I had this framework probably from just like being steeped in in wellness culture, which is like a whole thing that I could talk about. That really made me feel like it's my fault if I get sick, like I didn't do enough celery juice or I don't do celery juice, you know, bone broth and sauna and staring at the, what's the thing everyone's telling us now? Stare at the sun in the morning, <laughs> eat liver. Um, I do do these things. And I don't feel that way anymore. I'm like, wow, immune systems are amazing. And I just watched my two-year-old's immune system work harder than I've ever seen it work. And I was in awe of the human body. Awe. I was so scared for this human body. Could it take on this virus? I did everything I could to support it and sat back in a way on a couch watching Disney Plus for many, many days. I'm so tired of Disney movies. I dream in Disney movies right now. And her body did such, did so great. It just did so great. And so did mine. And so does mine. And so does yours. And so I'm here feeling like I have this really wise vessel that carries me through the world that helped me downshift into the coming winter because I actually was moving a little too fast. And I knew it. And I thought, I'm downshifting soon. I got this. I got this. And then my body was like, wait, here we go. This is what we're going to do now. And here we are. And there that is. So let me share this episode with you today before I lose my voice, because I have not talked this much in a while. This is a really special episode that's very, um, honestly, was very informative to me and helped me gain a friend in this life I'm taking on of land stewardship in a deeper way. So this is a conversation with Hillary Maddox. So Hillary is the founder of Black Girl Country Living and creator of rewilding workshops for the BIPOC community. And in 2020, she and her family left the city and the tech industry, which is very much our story too, for the country without knowing what they were getting into. 
And along the way, she fell in love with nature and discovered the healing powers it has for herself and for her community and for the earth. And she also believes deeply in the importance of access to the outdoors for BIPOC people as a black woman herself and centers them in the experiences she's creating actively. So in this conversation, we discuss our journeys of leaving cities and tech careers for slower lives. She's a little bit a little bit ahead of me there and really cultivating deep relationship with the land, which shows a lot of the things that we need to unlearn and beliefs we have along the way. And so we unpack what it means to own land, to cultivate it and to respect its wisdom. And she gets super real, which is what I want to hear about the challenges of the first two years on her farm and the many things she's learned. And we swap stories about trees and joy and grief. It comes from tending them. And I just think no matter what your life vision and dream is, whether you're going to go off and live on a farm or a plot of land or not, whether you live in suburbia or the city or not, I think there are just some really beautiful nuggets of wisdom here. So I invite you to settle in and listen to us as we talk. Here is my conversation with Hillary Maddox. I'm in this like very slow intentional transition to like an entirely new way of life. Mm. And I don't really have a lot of models for it. I have no models for it. Yeah. And we are doing it very slow. And there's such a temptation to like rip the bandaid off. And that's just not how it's going for us. So it's sometimes I find like, maybe this is like the overculture, urgency culture. I just get really uncomfortable. And then I like make meaning of that discomfort to be like, Mm. everything's off. It's not right. I don't know what I'm doing. You know? No. I love what you're doing um, (laughs) so much. When I I found your webpage, I was like, oh, my God. I mean, you've been doing this for a while now. And when I first found your webpage, I was just like, this is incredible. Like this, these are the kinds of things and the themes that I like think about often. And to yeah. see somebody really bringing this, and you've been like, you've formed a community around it. It's just so incredible. I'm, I'm so, so happy to have found you. I'm so glad you found me too. Because when I looked at your page, I was like, oh, someone else who understands who, who this like genuinely lights them up these topics. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, I'll welcome everyone in who's just like peeking in on our conversation. This is Hillary Maddox, aka Black Girl Country Living on Instagram, blackgirl.countryliving on Instagram, who I reached out to me, reached out to me, and we realized we have so many interests in common. And I said before we hit record that I'm very selfishly looking forward to this conversation um, because you you did it. You did it. You left the city with your family, bought land, and doing the homesteading thing and, and narrating that. So um, welcome and thank you for being willing to share your experiences and wisdom with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Mm. Okay. So I saw that you were a city tech person. Yes. And that's like Tim, my partner, Tim, and I like, that's us. <laughs> like, Tim's still in tech in San Francisco. I've exited, but still in like the culture, you know? Yeah. And and we're making our way across the literal continent um, to the land that we've purchased. So I would love to hear whatever you want to share, like what wasn't working for you in like your city life and, and how you, mostly like how you felt called, like what called to you, what did it feel like, what did it look like? Anything you want to share about your journey to where you are now? Oh, such a good question. And I'm so excited. I didn't know your background was in tech. So yes. um, so we spent the greater part of a decade, more than a decade between San Francisco and Seattle. It's like major tech hubs and like deeply millennials where we came to be like super reliant on Ubers and food delivery and just like all of the techie conveniences of living in those spaces. And um, when we moved back to Seattle, we were actually living with my husband's parents in their home, uh, the home my husband grew up in. So we were doing a multi-generational thing. And it was amazing. It was working really well for us um, and commuting downtown for work. 
and the pandemic hit and um, things just started to feel really claustrophobic. And um, then George Floyd uprising happened, which was really, really heavy in Seattle. Um, and it was just weighing on us. And uh, my husband and I are both black and we were just like, we have to get out of here. Like this just doesn't feel like a good environment, a healing environment, a safe environment right now. And um, I'm originally from South Dakota. So part of me have always felt this calling to go back to having more space. I just didn't know when it would ever happen and if it could ever happen. Um, and so we just started taking weekend trips from the city and going different places, staying at Airbnbs, checking out, like, how do we like this drive? Does it feel good to come this, you know, drive out this way? Does it feel like we're moving away from the city? And we just kind of picked a general region. And this was early enough in the pandemic that people weren't like panic buying homes. So we got the second house that we looked at and for a really good price. And it was on a little bit over an acre of land. And... Our initial thought was that we we're just going to use this as a weekend escape. We assumed that we'd be going back into the office at some point. And the same week we bought it, I found out I was pregnant with my second kiddo. And I was just like, wow, we're we're going to have to do something. Like, we're going to have to really make some decisions about how we want to be living. And the further along in my pregnancy, the more I realized, like, I just really want to be out here. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know how the hell we're going to do it. We're two hours outside of the city. We know nobody. We don't, you know, have any uh, idea what childcare is going to be like. We didn't really think through a lot of the logistics, but we just knew that we, like, something was calling us out here. And we made the decision. And my, I told my husband, like, this feels like the scariest thing we've ever done. And he was just like, you just, you have to have faith. And we did it. And it's been a wild, wild ride, but have zero regrets, no regrets about it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I have a lot of follow-up curiosities yeah. <laughs> about that. One is, um, are you both like still working remotely for tech or did you both like fully leave that world and commit to income in different ways? That's my first question. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is so, such a pertinent question. Um, my husband is still in the tech world. Yeah. Um, I left, I left my job earlier this summer and it was something that I realized like last summer I was out on maternity leave with my baby and just like sat outside and it was just the most healing experience I've ever had in my life being out in nature, sitting outside with my little baby, nursing him on our deck. And I was just like, I'm going to find a way to, make this happen. And um, I had gone back to my job. My little one went into daycare. I continued to work for several more months and it just increasingly became harder and harder. Mm -hmm. There was just like this growing dissonance between like, I'm pursuing this life of living with the land, coming back to myself, having an understanding of, you know, all things being interconnected. And I'm spending my days doing, I was working with cloud technology and like some of the most like advanced technology. And it just was creating this dissonance between my two worlds that I could just like no longer handle. Yeah, And I ended up quitting. It was faster than I expected, but I think something in me was just like done. I have to be done. And it's been crazy because it's the first time in my adult life that I've never had a full-time job, but it's really been an opportunity for my husband and I to think about what's necessary in our lives um, so that we can support ourselves on a single income um, while I work to kind of get my business off the ground. Mm. Um, and it's really forced us to be more communicative and I think forced us to be more in alignment with some of the values that I've been exploring around uh, sustainability, um, reducing dependence on consumption. All of those things feel like they're coming into greater alignment because we made that decision, because we were able to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, my next question, just, I'm going to be so nosy. So did you grow up with a deep connection to the land? You said you're from South Dakota. Did you grow up with like a parent or grandparent or neighbor or auntie or uncle or anyone who like taught you about the land and stewardship or preserving food or anything like that? Yes, I did. Okay. So I'm from South Dakota, and I think most people hear South Dakota and just assume like everyone grows up on a farm, but I <laughs> I did not. I grew up technically in a city, um, but my mom grew up on a farm, and uh. her parents, my like great-great-grandparents, were the original owners of like a Homestead Act farm in South Dakota. So 160-acre allotments of land were given out to people. Stolen land, I just want to be clear, were given out to people for basically a filing fee. And um, my family were some of the original homesteaders out there. Um, So both my maternal and paternal grandparents each had a farm. So I grew up going to visit them. My aunt and uncle lived on one. My grandparents lived on the other. They were a few miles apart. And it was like freedom. Like it was the middle of the prairie. And they grew acres and acres and acres of corn. And I just got to be exposed to what it was like to live in harmony with the land. Mm. And my mom, even though we didn't grow up in that space, in that environment, she cooked all of our meals from home. She taught us how to cook. She taught us how to preserve. We were all in 4-H. We just learned what it meant to really be thoughtful and careful about how we provided for ourselves. And at the time, I I found it to be like a super bore. I was like, nobody else is doing this kind of thing. (laughs) And it felt like all the momentum was like, you should leave South Dakota and pursue something that is has nothing to do with this. And so that's what I did. Yeah. And now you're returning to those ways. And now I'm returning. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I kind of made an announcement. We have a cousins group. Um, I have 12 cousins and we have a Facebook group. And it took me a long time to tell them that I was like pursuing homesteading because a few of my cousins still farm and I didn't want them to be like, okay, Hillary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I didn't want them to think that I was just saying it because like it was trendy or cute. Like this was really something that was calling me. And so I waited, I waited over a year to show them like, Hey guys, I just learned how to butcher a chicken. Mm. And um, it was, it felt really important to come out and say like, I'm, I'm pursuing this lifestyle. And they were all very supportive. They've been really encouraging. Yeah, I can I can relate to that. I don't know what the feeling is. Like, I tell people we bought a farm and then people are like, so you're going to be farmer now? And I'm like, yeah, but like, I have a long way to go until I can claim that title. But like, I'll show you. Also, the other thing is, is we were, we were in these, the little village next to the town where we bought our farm and we were there with our little two-year-old and they were just like making small talk at the deli. And we were like, oh yeah, we bought like that, the former dairy ranch down the road, all this stuff. And they were like, oh, what are you going to do? And we were like, oh, we're not really sure. And they're like, where are you from? We're like California. And they're like, okay. Like, (laughs) and we're like, we'll show you. Just give us a few years. I swear (laughs) we're going to figure this out. Cause you know, the flight from the city of people going and and that very real desire, I think, that really came up during lockdown, like this ancestral urge to like save seeds and buy chicks and make sourdough. Yeah. Um, that that's in us and a and a lot it's of people have us. a lot of people have like let it go and tried to go back to normal. I don't I don't know if that's actually ac- an accurate portrayal of the times we're in, but that to me just showed that like it's still in us and that, um, and that we can do it. So here's, so here's something that came up that I heard you say, and I was, we were, when we were prepping for this conversation, I shared with you that there was like a little bit of like a cottage core trend, aesthetic kind of trend happening. It's not a little, it's huge in the, I don't know, in the media and the zeitgeist of, of, and I think it's very much related to the last few years Yeah, and maybe a response to climate collapse and all this stuff. And I definitely have been swept up in it. And I, I believe that this desire to go back to the land and rewild is romanticized. 
mm-hmm. quite a bit because I think in our instant gratification culture of like getting what we want really quick, like prime shipping and all of that, I find I used to teach like uh, ancestral skills um, workshops a few years ago, pre-baby. And I found that there was just an impatience. People have an impatience with learning these skills. I included me included, like really being uncomfortable with not instantly being good at something or it being hard. Or like one time I tried to preserve salmon and like fully gave myself food poisoning (laughs) (laughs) and, and then felt shame. And it's like, okay, so there's like the romanticizing of like the cottage core aesthetic and going back to land. And then there's like the real deal, like doing it. And so this is why I want to talk to you because you're really doing it. So I, I, I'm wondering if you can share a bit more about like how hard it was. And even as someone who grew up with like these farming relatives in your spaces, like how has it been to go from like cloud computing to, you know, butchering chickens? Oh my God. Everything you said, so accurate. And I mean, I think that This is why I think rewilding and having like a term for this has become so important for me because it's a practice and it's, there's nothing that has come easy about this. Like from the moment we bought the house, this is, we're first time homeowners. So we had no idea what we were really getting ourselves into. We had no idea how to care for a home, let alone an acre of land that's partially forested and, you know, in a, a very dynamic space. We're right on some water. And I think that there was a lot of expectation that things would just kind of happen or come easily. And that there would be, like, I, I knew it would be hard, but I think I didn't understand just how challenging taking care of land was. So one of the things that I remember early on is we were coming up and doing weekend trips here. We we moved into the house over a period of like six months. Mm. And we had come up on a weekend, and it was early in the fall, And we have two giant maple trees in our front yard. And both of them had just dropped all of their leaves all over our front yard, which is huge. And I just started bawling. And I was just like, I don't even know what to do with these. Like, what are we supposed to do? Do we leave them? Do we clean them up? Are people going to be angry if we leave them? Because we have so many ideas about what should and shouldn't be on the ground, especially coming from the city. And it was so overwhelming, just that one thing to try and figure out what am I supposed to do here? And it was kind of some of that stuff just kind of snowballed because, you know, the weather changes, life continues to move on, the seasons mean that there's different things happening in the environment, trees are falling down in our backyard, like there's just so much that we didn't know how to handle. And I think we take for granted that when we see people on social media doing these things, it's taken them many seasons of going through these cycles to understand, to anticipate, to really be able to respond in ways that make sense. Because I think there's a lot of unlearning that has to happen when you go back to the land about what is normal and what's not normal. So yeah, it's it's been a really tough journey. And I try not to um, sugarcoat that when I share about what my experience has been. But it feels like as soon as I get to this moment of like, oh, I think I got this, there's sort of another level <laughs> of like, okay, you you had that last cycle, but now there's like this new level of understanding and a new level of awareness that you're stepping into. So it never ends. Right. And it's it's beautiful that we have like a growing season, although in California where I live and Pacific Northwest where you live, like there you can grow in the winter. Um, but there's this, um, right. It's like a year, (laughs) you have a year to learn a few things and then you harvest the lessons along with the bumper crop and then you infuse it to the next year. And I find, I mean, I am a backyard suburban gardener and I find like, whoo, this year really kicked my butt when it comes to powdery mildew, when it comes to soil health, Um, when it comes to chickens, I mean, I'm telling you. And so, and so it is a lifetime practice. And I think, I think you're right that as much as you're learning, you're unlearning. Yeah. What have you been unlearning? Oof. 
Oh my gosh. Or maybe what's one that's really up for you? Yeah, I think one of the things that the thing that first comes to mind is just learning to have and be in nature and unlearning that nature isn't just this thing that we go into, but it's a thing, it's a space that we're a part of and we're constantly a part of. And unlearning that this idea that nature is here for us to like conquer, is here for us to exploit, to use as we want to, and that we're somehow sort of more important or more significant than nature, that nature has nothing to teach us. It's been a profound learning of just realizing just how much nature has to teach us and how much we've kind of been fooled and into believing that we are superior to so much. Learning that when we actually slow down and listen to nature and see the rhythms of nature and the cycles of nature, that she's not too different from us. She has moments of like anger, of sadness, of of all of these things that we've like determined are not good, but there's volatility and she doesn't judge herself. And I think that that's been something that's been so powerful for me is learning to emulate how nature moves through those cycles. And there's no judgment, there's no shaming. And I think that that is something that people need more access to in general and understanding of. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with Mila Prince. I looked her up after one of, I listened to one of your podcasts, actually. I talk about her all the time. Yes, I'm probably yes. saying the same <laughs> quote I always say, which is nature is a colonial term. Mm. And it assumes that it is separate from us. Yeah. That so we true. say, and like, I, this is not to say we can't use it because like yeah. also colloquially, like we have to work with the language we have. Right. Um, and I think, yeah, Mila, who's um, Finnish Palestinian um, and lives, yeah, Coast Salish territory. I'm not sure near you. Yeah. Um, she, she talks, she says living world, natural world. Um, but I, I, any words are fine. It, the point is, um, like that is truly where we, we come from. Like I like, yeah. I think about how I'm so dependent on like temperature controlled dwellings. And yeah. I, I interviewed Ayana Young, who has for the wild podcast, like three or four years ago, who was talking about, man, she is so cool. She's so hardcore. And she lives like North, Northern California, like, in the deep, deep woods and how she's trying to like acclimate her body to like living and sleeping outside. Wow. Like talk about rewilding and I just, yeah. and, and how uncomfortable and, and being, um, and the difference between comfort and sh- or shelter and comfort and all these things where I'm just like, whoa, I definitely depend on my temperature control dwelling totally. and that it is what it is, but to remember that I am of all that right out, right outside and pointing to, to the window. (laughs) I'm from all that out there. Uh, and that there are, and it's like a mirror, right? Like you're saying the volatility, like, so are we, you know, (laughs) like, um, the, the extreme, the extremeness of expression of a storm or of temperature or the way the leaves compost, by the way, what did you do with the leaves? (laughs) So we, put them into a giant, we have the previous boat owner had like a boat uh, shed and uh-huh. we put them in there. So they did not compost. They are still sitting in there. And then, <laughs> huh. it's a whole thing because we, composting has been like the bane of our existing since we moved out here. We oh. know we need to figure out a solution, but it's just. Are critters getting into it? Um, just- we, fa- we've, we found some mice, but we just, yeah. it's kind of, we already had mice also, but at this point, I think we're just going to have to haul it off to the compost and yeah. we, we got to figure out a more accessible location for a permanent compost pile. Right. But we can't go zero to homestead in one year. <laughs> oh, totally. No, absolutely not. And I think that that was, I put so much pressure on myself and my husband because my, my husband has done so much work putting fences up, you know, moving logs, doing, he's been, 
it's been amazing to see what he's been able to do and learn because um, he was a true city kid. I was the one who like knew how to use the toolkit <laughs> when we lived in the city. So it's been cool. Um, but I also had to remove the pressure to have all of this stuff perfected in a year because our goal is to have like a whole systems sort of mini farm situation set up. Yeah. But it takes time to understand how all the miniature systems are going to work together so that you can get the whole picture figured out. So we're getting there. And how long have you been there? Just over two years. Right. So two seasons. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like really stirring a lot in me around patience. You talk Mm -hmm. about, I looked on your Instagram, you talk about slow dreams, which felt real, that those, that felt really resonant to me as someone who, I have so many visions for this land that I still don't really have a deep relationship with. I've met her three times, four times, and I've really only seen her in spring and fall. Mm -hmm. Um, And like this whole idea of like human supremacy or like um, domination, exploitation of land, um, I find really triggering because I feel it within myself, the desire Mm. to take input my vision upon a land that I am not actually relatives with yet. Like we're not Mm. in relationship. And I think that's what so many people do because it's like in the water around you buy land or a house, which in in and of itself is like a very confusing. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a whole philosophical discussion, but it's like, okay, I own this land. Right. And then it's like, what do you want to do to it? Yeah. What do you want to do to it? Like, (laughs) Like that, <laughs> just like that. And, and like, um, yep. so I was just on the land that we, the farm in New York a few weeks ago, and we, they were talking to us about removing diseased trees and, um, and how the previous owner just like let them stay too long. And they are, they are 150 year old maples, also maples, mm. and they're falling and it's really dangerous. It's really dangerous. And, I got into a whole thing in my head around what is the like, because I'm so far from like the way in which my ancestors were in full relationship and trust with the land. But I have like enough information to be like, I got to change the way I do things that I was just like, is it right to remove these trees? Mm. And so as much as like there's human supremacy and domination over land, there's also, then there can be the opposite of like, well, I don't touch it. But then there's the forgetting that like the indigenous way of land stewardship is to, is to, is to burn the land, is to totally harvest, is to remove trees, is to tend. Even our most wildest spaces on the planet are tended to by humans because humans in the wild are one. And so I can get really in my head around like, should we remove these maples? And it's all just like a part of the practice, right? Of like yeah. settling these these feelings of grief and mm. grief of being, you know, descended from colonizers and, and unworthiness and then feeling sad for the trees for dying and having a disease. Oh. And did that disease come from humans? And it's just a lot of feelings, but ultimately, hopefully it's leading me to deeper relationship with the land. I'm wondering if that resonates. Yes, a thousand percent. There is one of the two maple trees in my front yard is diseased and we are waiting for somebody to come cut it down. Mm-hmm. And it's heartbreaking because it's like it's one one of two maples that they, if you look at them from the right angle, they look like one giant tree. Mm. So it's been tough and learning that, you know, we, that's what we have to do as stewards is to take care. Um, and we had somebody come out and, you know, look at a few other trees and there's the potential for the disease to spread. So we have to, we have to take care, even if it's, if it is hard. And to your point of just grappling with these ideas, I struggled with this a lot because we have a, the back half of our property is forested and we have a lot of beautiful wildlife. We have deer, elk, all kinds of birds, owls, hawks, eagles. It's a really alive space. And I wanted to make sure that I was doing my part to take care of it because I have no, I've, I have no idea what to do. This is the yeah. first time I've been in this proximity with a space like that. And so I took a, um, my local community college offered a 
a stewardship class. And everything was oriented to our local bioregion. They brought in different experts on wildlife around tending to forest at different stages of life. And we had somebody who actually came out here and walked around the space with us and was able to tell us a little bit about the land, that it looked like the land had been logged at least once before, that the land had been replanted potentially to be uh, logged again because they're tightly packed together in some areas. And then just learning to see the land and patterns of the trees, I think that whole process gave me a much greater appreciation for the space. It helped me feel more confident as somebody who could take care of the space. And it just gave me a deeper connection with this space, knowing that this is Coast Salish land as well, original territory to Lower Skagit tribe. And it just gives you a much greater sense of place of how this space has been used mm. for so long, of how people may have moved through it at different times, time periods. And yeah, I would encourage anybody who's who's intimidated or who's new to check out local community colleges, um, yeah. because a lot of them will really have a much better I used YouTube for a long time and I found it to be really overwhelming um, because a lot of it wasn't specific to my region. But mm. local community colleges, I think, is the way to go and really accessible. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for that pro tip. Yeah. I'm going to look into that for myself because I think what I'm also experiencing is having lived and called home like one kind of bioregion and then moving to a completely different one. I feel very paralyzed in a, in a not yeah. understanding like native plants and, and weather patterns. And, and then I'm being asked to make decisions and I'm really just not, I'm trying not to, I'm trying to be like, let's just do what we need to get us there. And then, yeah, a lot of folks I've been talking to are like sit with the land for an entire year and just be with it. And I'm yep. like, but I'm impatient and excited yes. to fulfill my dreams. So what are you talking yes. about? <laughs> it's like, oh, that's urgency culture. Oh and <laughs> can we move yes. slow? So Tim and I, it's it's hard. I mean, obviously we teach what we need to learn here uh, as I am, but Tim and I are really like, can we breathe through this and and just watch? Let the land teach us who it is. Yeah. We're very fortunate that my husband's dad is – He's a landscape gardener um, in Seattle and has been doing that for decades. So he helped us a lot in understanding native plants, what was what was a weed. I'm saying that in air quotes because yeah. I also learned that weed is a very problematic term. It can because a lot of things are kind of we can decide what's a weed. It's a flower that might be in the wrong spot, and um, mm. so he's. Somebody like that has been just instrumental in walking us through our space and helping us understand what's growing and and just how much a plant can change from week to week. And I'm like, well, it was one thing last week and now it's this. I don't know what this is. Yeah. Um, so it's been helpful to have his support. But we also heard when we first moved in, when we, we tried to have some other things cleared out, a couple of folks told us they won't touch people's land until they've been here in the land for at least a year for yeah. that same reason, because it's hard to know what you really want. I think people have sort of a, a vision or an early idea of what they want. But what one of the uh, landscapers told us is that you really have to sit and watch the way the, the sun moves across the sky at different parts of the year. You have to see where water water settles around your property when it's rainy season. You have to understand where leaves fall. Like there's so many patterns you have to start to be aware of before you should really start to make big decisions. And we waited and I'm grateful that we did because I think it it helped us to really understand what even a season is like, because when you live in a city, I think you're oriented by a couple of trees on the street for me, but having a whole sort of space around you that's totally different from season to season is a very different experience. So that gave us time and space to really understand what a season looks like. Yeah. Thank you. I'm really taking that to heart as we <laughs> fight the urges to 
yeah, dominate a space we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate what you're sh- you shared about how like the land has, I mean, land has been here for a long time and who has, who and what has been on this land for millions of years. I, I was thinking I th- like a while ago. So we have these two black oaks here in California, two very old black oaks that, um, are like getting in the way of houses, but they're heritage. So they're protected by the town. Mm. Um, and I've been like, don't remove those oaks. And I was thinking, I was trying to like connect with them. And I was looking out. So I was saying I live on a hill and I was looking out over the valley that I live, which is just like dappled with homes Mm. and then trees that are. And then I just thought like in the span of history of, of this land, you know, this earth and this land that's been around a long ass time, like these houses have been here for just like a blip. Like yeah. a, nothing. Totally. And, and who and what walked these lands and what what do these trees know? And what did they see? Because they are old and they are tall. They are stunning. And um and that brings an expansiveness, especially when we start calling patches of land ours, like belongs to us to remember like what does this land know and what has this land seen Mm. and what can we learn from that i love that you brought someone who can read who can read the way trees are planted and the way things are carved out to be like oh this is likely this way because this happened what beautiful knowledge to have and to expand the mind and heart around stewardship absolutely i had i had no idea what we would even use that space for when we bought the land. Like I was so ignorant of, of space that I really just wanted the house. I just wanted, <laughs> I didn't want to be in the woods because it felt to me scary. It, it felt so unknown and I just didn't understand. It, it's a small, it's not like a, you know, I'm going to go for a hike space. So it also felt too small for going out and like doing exercise, I guess, because that was my perception of what woods could be used for. Mm -hmm. And having and being able to tend to a space like that has just reshaped. I mean, the fact that I think of a space now more as a space to be with nature and to sit with nature is just such a shift from expecting it to be big enough for me to go on like a three mile hike or it's no use at all. And so Mm. I think that there's so much shifting about how we think about space, about, yeah, what it can teach us. We also live in a really incredible area out here that was carved out by glaciers. Mm. So there's giant, massive rocks that fell off of glaciers all around this region. And we have one in our backyard. And my husband and I call it a meditation rock, because it's just, it's just, it's kind of car uh, canopied with trees. And it's just big enough for one or two people to sit on. And it's just a reminder of like the massiveness and the kind of life that like moved through in order to make this space. It's one of those things that you have to be reminded sometimes that this space has been here so much longer, so much longer. Mm-hmm. And it gives me such a much more pre- bigger appreciation for just the life that we're surrounded by and our connectedness to all things at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel you so deeply with that. I'd like to hear more about this work you're engaged in right now, particularly around giving access to the outdoors for your BIPOC community? Yeah, so where this began for me was um, early on in our journey out here, I started sharing photos of myself gardening on Instagram and just excited that I was able to grow something for the first time. And I started to get feedback from people that, you know, was really neat. But the thing that really stood out was, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're black girl gardening. (laughs) And, and it's both from black women, white women across the spectrum. It was just new and different. And it started to become 
really evident to me that, oh my gosh, we don't see a lot of black and brown folks represented in outdoor spaces, whether that's in media, advertising, anything. And so it became sort of a mission of like, how can I contribute to helping more black and brown people access these spaces? Um, especially as I was experiencing incredible amount of healing um, and deepening my self-awareness um, of myself, of the earth, my connection with other people. I really wanted to figure out how I can bring that to the broader community. And the idea sort of evolved into rewilding workshops. And um, right now I am still in sort of the building and imagining phase and really um, reaching out to my own community to see what what collaborators they would love to be see or see as part of these workshops, um, finding spaces where I think these workshops can take place is another big thing because historically black and brown folks just have not been always welcomed in outdoor spaces or are seen as um, not belonging in outdoor spaces. So finding spaces that have a strong awareness and a pledge around inclusivity has been really important. And just learning from other people who are doing the same work, I think, Bringing people back to the land is really important, doing it in, in thoughtful, conscientious ways. And I want to continue my journey, not just by bringing people out here, but doing it in a way that is really aligned with my own values and values that are, I think, are sort of connected to the, the grander scheme of how we preserve this space. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. How can folks find out more about those? Yeah. Connect with me on Instagram, uh, Black Girl Country Living, or my newsletter. I'll be putting more information in the newsletter as we get closer to launching. But I really want my community to be part of helping to make these a success and um, excited to bring in more collaborators. It's just been, it's fun to start to go down this rabbit hole of meeting people like yourself who are really digging into this work and um, I'm excited to bring some folks in to help create spaces that feel safe, that feel centered around healing and joy, because I think people really need that right now. Agreed. So uh, your newsletter is bgcl.substack.com, and we will link both your Instagram and your newsletter substack in the show notes at belongingpodcast.com. Yeah, I joined your newsletter. It's wonderful and such good reminders, especially for those of us who are like, yeah, I get the stuff. And maybe you've like read a lot of the books and done the things and steeped yourself in the work. And then you like get back into your life and it's like the hustle and bustle. There's something about just like being gently reminded of like our sacred right to rest, slowing down to share yeah. a meal. These are two of your latest newsletters. It's just like, yeah, it is that simple. Y'all <laughs> it's yeah. that simple. And, um, yeah, we just it's it's beautiful to have hands to hold along the journey as we yeah, take off the heavy backpacks of the overculture and drop them to the ground. So so much. Yeah. And I think part of thinking about your journey moving from the city, moving to the country, it's it's one of those things that like the unloading, the heaviness and learning to get back to the essential stuff while it seems really easy and simple, it's also like you have to have a place to unload that sometimes. And mm -hmm. it's been really enjoyable to share that with my community and get feedback because I think there are a lot of people who just need those reminders who are like, yeah, it felt really good during pandemic times to slow down, but now we're back into yeah. the grind of everything. And um, sometimes I forget that. So it's it's nice to be able to share what I'm doing. Well, I'm so happy you came on. You and I are going to keep jamming on these things yeah. uh, because I have a lot to learn from folks like you who are a little ahead of me on the path. And I'm just so grateful. I have one last question for you, which is like, what is one piece of advice you would give someone who's like, I think I'm going to do it, I think, or, or it is my long held dream to like do the thing and leave the city and 
go back to the land in some way. One piece of advice. I think really taking time to reflect on why you want this. I think that as we discussed, there's a lot of romanticization of this life. Um, but I think that there's also sort of this, a lot of fear right now and that moving out and leaving the city, having land will somehow resolve that immediately. Mm-hmm. And I think that this has been not just a journey of doing this because we wanted a little bit more freedom, but also realizing that part of that freedom is learning to be more reliant on other people and learning to build community with other people and learning that this isn't a journey that you take on your own. Yeah, um, You're going to be so much more successful if you're willing to learn from other people who have been doing this for much longer, who um, who, you know, your neighbors, the people at the farm supply store, um, like those are the people who, who really you can lean on and you should lean on. And it shouldn't be from a place of fear. And like, I have to grow all of the things by myself because I think that that will lead to a lot of frustration. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. The sort of like two versions of preppers, right? The one who's like, it's just me, myself, and I, and I've got like a bunker filled with like beans and bullets. And then it's like, well, actually, I think for whatever we're prepping for, <laughs> whatever yeah. is on, you know, on the horizon, it's about, you know, my eggs and your leeks and totally and like your dried leaves, you know, for the fire or whatever it is, right? And like my goats and all these things help us understand there's, it's so interesting. Cause like when we're in the city, we're so tightly together, but there's also such a hyper individualist culture within that. Yeah. And then actually to breathe more space into our lives is to, is to remember that we need each other in deeper in, in the ways we always have. It's just like yeah. a little amnesia. We have to just clear the clouds of. Yeah. It makes the journey so much easier, so much more enjoyable when you could take the pressure off yourself and not having to do it all because we were never meant to do it all alone. Totally. And that is so true about the guy, the people at the farm supply store. <laughs> it's like very accurate. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we are depending heavily on those folks right now. Yes. Yes. Uh, I found some good friends at Farm Supply I'm so grateful for. Yeah. (laughs) Totally, totally. Well, thank you, Hillary Maddox, so much for chatting with me. And I look forward to chatting more. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Same here. Thank you so much for joining me. In a time when our attention is being pulled in so many different directions, it means a lot that you took time out of your day to spend it with me and in these important conversations. For show notes and links and more information about my guests, you can head to belongingpodcast.com. And if you'd like to hear more from me and get access to my free newsletter called Slow and Seasonal, you can head to beccapiastrelli.com slash subscribe. 